We light two Advent candles remembering Jesus, who came in history. He came into a world of sin and death. We remember Jesus, who came as the promised Messiah. John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord. We hear his call to repent. We light two Advent candles as a sign of our repentance and desire for renewal. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Through your word and spirit, may our souls be blessed. Hope, faith, joy, and peace to you from our coming Savior. Amen. As we continue in our very non-traditional Advent season, we continue looking at the most traditional Advent series, and that is on the four Advent candles. Now, last week we looked at that prophecy candle and looked at the fact that all of Scripture is about the fact that the Savior was coming. That's the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, showing that the Savior, true God and true man, had come. That prophecy candle transitions right into today's text and today's sermon, which is the Bethlehem candle. Our text for our sermon is Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are certainly not least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Now, as I've already mentioned, the prophecy candle transitions right into the Bethlehem candle. You see, one of the, we call them minor prophets, that would be Micah, he lived during the time of Isaiah. And as we covered in last week's prophecy candle, Isaiah chapter 7 had prophesied that the virgin would give birth to a child and that he would be Emmanuel, that is, God is with us, true God and true man. But Micah gets to prophesy where that Savior would be born. In Micah chapter 5, starting at verse 2, we're told, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, from you will go out the one who will be ruler for me in Israel. His going forth are from the beginning, from the days of eternity. The Savior, whose going forth is from the days of all eternity, would be born in Bethlehem predicted roughly 700 years before the birth of Christ. So here in the Bethlehem candle, we focus again on prophecy fulfilled that God had even let the people know the exact city in which the Savior would be born. Now, in last week's sermon, I had mentioned that God had promised David that the Messiah would be his descendant. And so we rewind back quite some time, back to the time of Ruth the Moabite. You have heard me say in last week's sermon that all of the Old Testament is pointing to the coming Savior and that even some of those strange books in the Old Testament that seem out of place when we understand that they're pointing to the coming of the Savior and how God had preserved the Savior's lineage during that time, then those books make perfect sense. For example, the book of Esther tells you that the Jewish people were almost exterminated. If they were exterminated, then there would be no Messiah. And so God put Esther in a position where she would be able to appeal to the king of Persia, since she was his queen, to protect those people. 
Well, we rewind some time prior to that to the book of Ruth. And, and again, the book of Ruth really doesn't make sense unless you understand that it's pointing to how God preserved the lineage of the coming Savior. The book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1, begins by telling us, During the days of the judges, a famine occurred in the land. So a man left Bethlehem in Judah to stay a while in the territory of Moab, he, his wife, and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahalon and Kilion. They were from the clan of Ephrath, from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the territory of Moab and remained there. Well, we find out the man and his sons receive eternal glory, and all that is left is their wives and Naomi, the matriarch of the family. When Naomi decides to return back to Bethlehem to her family, she tells her two daughter-in-laws in verse 11, Turn back, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Am I going to give birth to more sons who could become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I'm too old to be married to another husband. Ultimately, the Moabitess Ruth refuses to go back to her family, but tells Naomi she will follow her. When they get to Bethlehem, ultimately Ruth finds out that Boaz is Naomi's kinsman redeemer. There's one closer to them, but he refuses the right. Boaz will take Ruth in and he will have a child by her. And that child will be the grandfather of a very famous king, King David. And so God is already ruling behind the scenes. The lineage through whom the Savior would come was almost destroyed and wiped out by a famine. But God used Ruth, a Moabitess. She's not the first Gentile in the Savior's genealogy either. But through her, the grandfather of David would be born. And we know that God promised David that the Savior would be his descendant. Now, we know that Ruth lived near the end of the time of the period that we call the judges or deliverers, and the last of those judges is actually Samuel. So let's fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Saul, who had been chosen to be king, ultimately falls out of faith and stops by that very fact being a faithful leader to the people of Israel. So in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 1, we're told, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I see a king for myself among his sons. So once again, Bethlehem has a significance in the coming Savior. This is where the Savior will be born. As we mentioned last week, God had promised David that the Savior would be his descendant. That's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. When your days are complete and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your seed, who will come from your own body. I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we see with the Bethlehem candle, God had promised that the Savior would be born in 
Bethlehem. God had prophesied that and there was no mistaking it. In fact, our text for today is part of the longer text of the visit from the Magi who, when they stopped in Jerusalem and and paid homage to King Herod, Herod was able to figure out where he was going to be born simply because any of the rabbis knew that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. Sadly, Herod has evil intentions, but the Magi go on to visit Jesus as the scripture had made it known. So we see, as we focus on the Bethlehem candle, a very precise prophecy fulfilled. God fulfills his prophecies. And that means you and I do not have to worry about somebody mistakenly thinking Jesus was the Messiah. He is the only one who fits all the prophecies to a T, born of Bethlehem, the hometown of his ancestor, David. Now, the second part of our sermon, we want to focus on just that, that Bethlehem is the birthplace of David, who would become king, and it's also the birthplace of Jesus Christ, David's descendant, our Savior. But Bethlehem's not a capital city. Many years later, David would capture Jerusalem and make it his capital city. And many years later, Jesus would ride into Jerusalem humbly on the colt of a donkey. Jerusalem was the capital city of David, but Jesus' triumphant entry was indicating that he's a king, but a different kind of king, because normally a king would come riding in on a war steed, on a horse that's meant for war, not an animal that's never been ridden before and somewhat of an awkward animal, an animal you could only ride in in peace. You see, God was telling us something by Jesus' birthplace, not only that he would be a descendant of David, who was king, but David was not born a king. He became a king. Jesus has always been the king of all creation. And so he's born in David's city, but it's not a capital city. God has Jesus born under humble circumstances so that we would understand that he's not here to establish a worldly kingdom such as the nation of Rome or even the kingdom of the United States. He was to establish a kingdom that was not of this world. It's his rule in your heart. He was born to an average city, a small, insignificant city in many ways. And while Joseph was a descendant of David, you would expect, as we are told, in those days Caesar Augustus put out a decree that a census should be taken, and it was decided among the people of Israel that they would return to their capital city of their clans to be counted. So you would expect that Joseph would come and at least have a brother or a sister or a cousin who would let them stay at their house. But as everybody had returned to Bethlehem, There was no room to be found even in the inn. Our Savior is born in a barn in kind of a hick town. But all of that is God comforting and reassuring you. Whether you are born and grow up and live in a hick town, or whether you are wealthy and the son of a very wealthy person, the Savior's for you. He's born in the most humble of circumstances to show that he is the Savior for all mankind. Jesus doesn't spare himself any of life's hardships, even being born in a barn. 
in an obscure backwoods city, if you will, because he came to redeem all people. He's for the average person, and he's also there for the elite, shall we say, of our society. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He's born in a barn. It's quite a cross that his stepfather, shall we say, and biological mother had to endure. And before he's two years old, Joseph has to scoop him into, into his arms, shall we say, and run off to Egypt. Oh, Jesus, according to prophecy, would also be called out of Egypt, and he would also be called a Nazarene. God fulfills many prophecies. But in all these, Jesus does not spare himself any hardship, as his life culminates in the ultimate hardship. The ultimate hardship is not the horrible pain of crucifixion. It's the horrible pain in which he's abandoned by Father and Holy Spirit so that he can endure an eternity of hell for all of your sins and all of my sins so that you and I would be saved and not have to endure that hell. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the birthplace of a king, but not the capital city. Twice it's the birthplace of a king, under David and also under his descendant Jesus. But both of their capital city is a different place. David would establish his capital city, Jerusalem. Jesus' capital city, well, it's really heaven. But his throne, it's your heart. That's where he dwells. That's his kingdom, his rule in your and my heart. And so we continue during this very unusual season of Advent thanks to the COVID virus and we focus on the next in the traditional series of candles. We focus on the Bethlehem candle where we have seen prophecy fulfilled. So we're absolutely certain that Jesus is the Savior and we see a birthplace of a king but not the capital city because his true rule, his true throne is in your heart. Amen. And now the Lord lets you, his servants, depart in peace according to his word. For your eyes have seen God's salvation, which he prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of his people Israel. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, our light and our salvation, you alone are the one who has come to save us. We thank you for your birth in Bethlehem, which has made it very clear to us that you are the one who fulfills all prophecy of Scripture and that you are the one who is the promised seed of David, so we can be confident and unmistaken that you are our Savior. We thank you for coming and for your will to perform in us again your saving work. Rule in our hearts by your Holy Spirit that now and forevermore, until the time of your return, we may wait for none other and put our trust in nothing in heaven or earth except you alone, O Lord. Amen. <music> 